0: Today's scripture reading is from Book of um, Philippians, chapter one, verses one through eleven. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. For you all making my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and i am sure of this that he who began a work a good work in you will bring bring it to completion at the at the day of jesus christ it is right for me to feel this way about you all because i hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for god is my witness how i yearn for
1: Uh, it's good to be in front of God's Word together as we look at today's passage that Pinky just read for us. Thank you, Pinky, for reading today's passage, and uh, just again, as uh, Rob prayed, uh, Robert Nichols prayed, we're thankful for all the mothers um, for their steadfast love that they have for the family and to the extended family, and, and that's really a uh, testament to gospel as well as God's, as we had learned about God's steadfast love the word hesed uh, a couple of months ago, as Rob Frere was preaching on the Book of Ruth. And while Pastor Rob is on sabbatical, we'll have some guest speakers from churches in our area. And last week was uh, Pastor Nathan Kreitz from uh, Long Island when he preached on the Book of Mark. Um, and for several weeks, especially in, during the month of July, a uh, month of June, I think, and then a couple of weeks in July, We'll have speakers from within the New Hope. Uh, Some of the elders, as well as Brian Lee, will be preaching, and Joe Yoon, who is uh, currently going through seminary, uh, will also be preaching at New Hope. And we decided that during those weeks, we'll preach together from the Book of Philippians. So I'll be starting with the introduction and the first section of uh, Philippians. And then a few weeks later, Tim Kong will pick up on the next section of Philippians. So as we begin, let me uh, just uh, pray and ask God for His help. Father, we thank you for uh, this beautiful book of uh, Philippians. We thank you for your your goodness over us, um, and that you've given us t- given us this letter, this book, so that we can learn about your love, your Heset love, and also learn to be more loving, uh, just like your your son, Jesus Christ, has shown his love towards us. So we pray that as as we together look into your word, pray that I will recede to the background, and your word will come to the foreground, and your spirit will do the work of changing our hearts and changing our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So for the past few months, uh, during our Sunday gathering, Pastor Rob preached on the Book of Job, which is a poetic book. And then a few months before that, we looked at Book of Ruth, which is a, a historical narrative. Unlike those books, the Philippians is a letter. It's a letter by Paul to his beloved friends in the city of Philippi. And as we studied this letter during the next few months, we learned what it means to have gospel as the center of our lives. And when we have gospel as the center of our lives, we, we will learn that we can have joy through all circumstances in our lives. When was the last time you wrote a handwritten letter to someone? Maybe a long time. Maybe it's for some of you never, some of the young, younger folks. I didn't a short greeting or a, on a Christmas card or a gift card, but my last such handwritten letter was when I was dating Christine during college. So during the summer months, she would go back to a home in the Philippines while I was working at an internship in New Jersey. So each night after I returned from work, I would check the mailbox if I got a letter from her. And with eagerness, I would read her letter, I would write a letter, and, and I would write a handwritten response, telling her about my day, how I missed her. Each letter would take, then take about seven to 10 days to get to her. Uh, but we wrote to each other daily so that we remember each other, sharing details so that we can partake in each other's life and remind each other of our love and also to tell her how I'm praying for her. The letters were precious, and we saved all of the letters for her. And those of you who visit our home, you can see the box in, the, in our basement. The letters were precious, and we But to my shock, I heard from Christine that often all of our family members read my letters, (laughs) even though my letters were not meant to be read to the whole family. But once Christine explained why, uh, then I was okay. You see, at that time in our family, only Christine was a believer. And I came to understand my letter served as a message of gospel to the whole family. So Paul's letter was meant to be read to the whole church, to all of his friends in Philippi. It's a message of gospel to his friends, and it's a message of encouragement to his friends. And as Paul writes, he focused on what matters to him the most, What he believes matters to his friends the most, and that is the gospel. And as we look at the introductory passage, we'll see how the gospel is essential in his mind, in his heart, and in his will. So before we dive into today's text, it will be helpful to have a bit of context of the relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi. And to get a context of the geography, Here's a map of the region. You'll see Philippi um, kind of in the center, which is in the modern-day Greece. And you'll see Rome all the way to the, to the left of your screen. And that's about 1,000 miles uh, separated. So Philippi was a Roman colony, although it was not in near, near Rome. But it was like a mini-Rome. It was where retired Roman generals and government officials would spend their retirement. It was also a major commercial city, perhaps not unlike New York City. We know in Acts chapter 16, Paul, Timothy, and Silas were visiting the city of Philippi during their missionary journeys through the region. And while in Philippi, they met a wealthy businesswoman named Lydia who heard Paul's preaching and came to believe the message of the gospel. Then a fortune-telling slave girl was delivered by Paul from a demon possession and came to believe Jesus. And a Roman jailer, you may remember, whose responsibility was to guard Paul and Silas in prison. He was about to kill himself when God caused an earthquake and opened all the prison doors. Paul shared the gospel. And the Roman jailer believed in the gospel, and he and his family became Christians that night. So these three unlikely group of people became the core group that made up the Philippian church, meeting initially at Lydia's house. Now about 10 years later, Paul is again in prison. Most likely in Rome, as I mentioned on the, uh, in the, in, in the map, And he's writing a letter of encouragement to his dear friends in the church of Philippi. There were a few reasons why Paul wanted to write this letter. Imprisonment, just like these days, carried a social stigma. And it would have been easy for the Philippians to turn their back on Paul. Instead, they remained loyal to him. They had given financial gifts to Paul, and so he wanted to thank them. Paul thus writes of his gratitude for their support and their faithfulness to the gospel. But there were also some pastoral concerns that Paul wanted to share. He had heard of a report of disunity among the Philippians, including a specific conflict between two women mentioned in uh, Philippians chapter four. He was also concerned about their persecution and influence of false teachers, as well as some Jewish leaders who were trying to enforce legalistic practices. And since they were his dear friends, he also wanted to let them know how he was doing in the prison and how he longed to see them. So with that as a background, let's get into today's text. We'll briefly look at the first two verses before we spend the bulk of our time in the, uh, in the verses 3 through 11. So let me read again. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus. Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, that phrase or that name is mentioned three times in just in these two short verses. So Paul starts right off with a focus on Jesus and his gospel. And Paul introduces himself and Timothy as servants of Christ. And notice his greeting: he greets them with grace and peace, which is common sometimes in our greeting, in like in letters or emails. But he's doing that with the centrality of the message of the gospel, grace from our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have peace with God. As we move to the next section of the letter, Paul shares a thanksgiving and a prayer. As we look at that that section, we look at this this next, next section in three parts. First, we look at his mind how his mind is on their relationship to the gospel as he recalls what he knows about them. Second, we look at his heart, how he loves them with the love of Jesus Christ. Then third, we look at his will, as he shows his will in praying for their Christian maturity dependent on the gospel. So let's look into his mind, his heart, and his will for the Philippians. And as we reread verses 3 through 8, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So first, let's look at the fact that his mind is on the gospel. As I mentioned earlier, Paul is writing this letter from a prison, most likely in Rome. And Paul, being a Roman citizen, was He was probably likely to be treated a little bit better than non-Roman citizens. But a Roman prison was a terrible place to be in. Paul was, for example, likely chained all day to a jailer. Yet you'll notice that his letter does not say anything about his discomfort, his suffering. Instead, as he remembers the Philippian church, he's filled with joy. She remembers the first converts in Philippi, how Lydia became a believer and opened her home to them as their first gathering place of worship. How the Roman jailer, despite the threat of losing his job and being persecuted, he became a believer and invited Paul to his home. Each of these recollections brought Paul sincere thanksgiving and joy. And every time he prays for them, he does so with thanksgiving. Paul is specifically thankful for their partnership in the gospel from the first first days of of the Philippian church. The word partnership is similar to a partnership in a law firm or in a medical practice. The partners share their same mission or same goal, and are working together to accomplish that goal. The Greek word is koinonia, koinonia, which is also translated as fellowship, the same word also in our church name. So the name New Hope Fellowship, our church name, means that as Christians, we are partners together with new hope that we have in Christ, that we are partners together with new hope in Christ. It's not about fellowship that we commonly use when we refer to having snacks and and, uh, catching up on life. Paul is in in particular thankful for their partnership in gospel from the first day when they were converted during Paul's message to how they supported Paul materially. But before we go further, it might be helpful for us to be on the same page as to what we mean by the term gospel, as this is what Paul cares a lot about. Brian actually just taught on on really on the message of the gospel. But so let me restate: gospel is the good news that says, even though we are sinners and rebelled against a righteous God, God loved us and sent his Son, Jesus, to live and die and then rise again to take the penalty of our sin himself in our place, to take the wrath of God in his own body. And now he calls us to believe in him and repent of our sins so that we can be saved and spend eternity with God in heaven. Furthermore, we are then called into God's kingdom to live the kind of life that will glorify him on this earth. As author and pastor Greg Gilbert writes in his book, what is the gospel? One can remember this gospel with four words. And this is really helpful for me in remembering this. It's God, man, Christ, response. The righteous God, the sinful man, Christ, who came to reconcile us to God, and our response. God, man, Christ, response. It's this message that Paul was committed to spread, for Paul, The gospel should govern everything in our lives. It's how we view the world, how we view our relationship with God and with one another, and how we grow as a Christian. It's all-inclusive. And that's why he's so thankful for their partnership in the gospel. Their partnership in the gospel included supporting Paul financially throughout his ministry, including now in the prison. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. The church in Philippi was the only church that was willing to support Paul's ministry. And Paul needed the money because in Roman prison, was, it was such that the prisoners or their relatives or friends they had to provide for the daily means, such as clothing and food. So Paul desperately needed the help of his friends. And the Philippian church was there to help. But the partnership that Paul mentions is more than just financial giving. Paul was also referring to their involvement in sharing the gospel with others, spreading the gospel in the city of Philippi, despite persecutions and attacks from false teachers. Then in verse 6, Paul expresses confidence that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The good work that began was their salvation. They're coming to believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ. That salvation was not their work, not by their own logic or intelligence, but all by the work of God. Remember, I mentioned Acts chapter 16, that God opened the heart of Lydia. It's God that drove out the demons from the slave girl. It's God that caused the earthquake, that opened the prison doors that convicted Roman jailer to turn to Christ. Salvation is all the work of God. We can all probably recall, for those those of us who are Christians, how God saved us when we were not seeking him. How God convicted us to turn to him. So Paul is now telling his friends that God will continue to sanctify them or transform their character to be mature followers of Christ to be ready for the day of Jesus Christ when he returns to the earth. Paul is sure that God will continue to work in their lives so that they will persevere to the end. The work will continue until we see Christ, and then the work will be completed. Brothers and sisters, there is no salvation that does not include a transformed life. So if your life is not being changed to be more like Christ, if you have no desire to change, to be more like Christ, then it may be that you were never saved to begin with. But here, how does Paul have such confidence in the Philippians? Paul is sure because he himself has seen or heard of the evidence of their lives being transformed. And this was a source of joy for Paul, to know that God was working the lives of their friends, his friends. And is not the greatest joy, brothers and sisters, when we see our friends, our children, our spouses changing by the work of the Holy Spirit. As we live our lives together a new hope, let's remember that we are partners in the gospel, sharing gospel, and living our lives being transformed, transformed each day by the gospel. So as we interact with one another, as we build a relationship, let's look for evidence of gospel transformation in our lives or in each other's lives and be thankful. I think the best encouragement that we can give to one another is to share with one another the evidence of God's grace. And it's not so that we can be prideful or be puffed up, but as a sign that God is doing the work in our lives. So despite him being in chains and suffering terribly, Paul has real joy as he remembers them and thanks God for them, thereby encouraging them. True joy does not come from circumstances, but by what God does deep in our soul through the gospel. So Paul's mind is on the gospel as he remembers his friends in Philippi. So next his heart, how the gospel drives his love for his friends. Paul loves them. What he remembers about them, what they are doing, what they have done, drive Paul's heart to be thankful and to love them even more deeply. Paul can sincerely say that he holds them in his heart. He holds them in his heart because he sees evidence of grace in how they care for him while he's in prison, by sending gifts, and also by sending one of their members, Epaphroditus, to care for him, and how they're defending and confirming the gospel in their city. So they are real partners with a common mission and goal of spreading the gospel, fighting the same enemies who oppose the gospel, and ensuring also the financial means to continue the fight. And Paul shows his love by continuing to teach and counsel them through his letters and messengers and by praying for them, even though he was about a thousand miles away, suffering in a prison. And this was no ordinary love. It was Christ's love channel through Paul. However, the Philippian church was not a perfect church. There were personal conflicts. There were influences of false teachers. But Paul refers to you all when he talks about loving them. The word all or the phrase you all is mentioned several times in this brief section that we read. Starting on verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. You are all partakers with me of grace. And I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. But it's not like a celebrity telling TV audience, I love you all, which is a completely meaningless statement, we know. Paul's love for them is sincere because this friendship is not based on some emotional bond or mutual hobby. It's because it's centered on the common Savior, their commitment to the same gospel. And they are part of God's same family, even suffering together. Just as Paul is suffering for the sake of the gospel, the Philippian Christians were likely also suffering hostility and persecution as they defend and confirm the gospel. The Philippians were living in a Roman colony, as I mentioned earlier, and and it would have been common to view Caesar as the Lord. So when the Christians would say that Jesus is their Lord, they would be sure to invite persecutions from the governing authorities and the people that were living there. Paul emphasized you all because he wants the Philippians to share this love for one another. He was concerned about the unity in the church and that they truly love one another, one another just as he loves them with the affections of Christ Jesus. So how can we love one another especially when we are all different. So when Paul says, I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus, what does it really mean? What is this kind of love? It's not an abstract or mystical love either. Theologian Gordon B. explains it this way, which which I find very helpful. Its primary connotation is not emotion. But rather, a sober kind of love, love in the, in the sense of placing high value on a person or thing, which expresses itself in actively seeking the, val- the benefit of the one so loved. So when we love, we value one another, seeking the benefit of one another. So we sincerely care for one another as members of God's family. And Jesus said in John chapter 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But how do we get this kind of love? Paul says that he loves or yearns with the affections of Jesus Christ. What are the affections of Jesus Christ? Jesus' love was such that he was willing to die for us when we were sinners, when we were his enemies. So the gospel is a common bond. It's not hobbies or life sages or socioeconomic status or ethnicity that binds us. It's the gospel. And that's what bound the Philippians church in the Philippi. As Paul and the Philippians did, we show concern for one another sacrificially, because we are a family of God, and Jesus loved us sacrificially. And that's how we live out the gospel in the community. We care for one another when one is in need. It may be as simple as signing up to provide meals for families who are going through struggle due to an illness or a new baby being born. It's when a young couple offers to watch the children of another couple so that they can attend church without being distracted. When there are conflicts, we forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. We ask God to give us this kind of love, one another. And we pray for one another. Which brings us to the next section of the passage, verses 9 through 11. So let me reread that section again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we talked about Paul's mind, which is on the gospel. We talked about his heart that's driven by the gospel, his heart of love. And third, Paul's will for the Philippians is also centered on the gospel. As Paul remembers them, he finds joy and his heart is filled with love for them. And that love then causes him to pray for them. Initially, when I was reading this passage, my thought was that, well, Paul was in prison and there was really not much more he could do to show his love for them. Even among us, we say things like, well, we'll just pray for you. Almost apologetically, when we see a friend or relative in some trouble or in need. We said especially if we feel bad, because there's not much we can do physically for them, because they are in a faraway place, or what's needed is beyond our ability to help. But brothers and sisters, prayer is not the least we can do for one another. Prayer is the utmost we can do for one another if we love each other. When we have the Father who control, controls every penny, who knows every molecule in our body, would it make sense that the first and the most important thing we do is to ask God a petition on their behalf? Here's a story about Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London in the, eight, in the late 1800s. The story goes, Five young college students were spending a Sunday in London, so they went to hear the famed Charles Spurgeon preach. While waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plan of this church? Heating plan? They were not particularly interested, for it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the strangers, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly open, and their guide, their guide whispered, this is our heating plan. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. Prayer was the fuel of Spurgeon's ministry. And we have the powerful privilege of praying to our Father for one another, for our church, for our nation. 20th century theologian and pastor Warren Wiersbe says that, that the deepest Christian fellowship and joy we can experience. In this life, is at the throne of grace, praying with and for one another. So, brothers and sisters, when you are praying, whether at mealtimes, night times, reading your Bible, let's keep each other in prayer. A good habit is to keep a prayer journal or prayer list, and then you can look back and see how God, how God has been faithful in answering your prayers. And you will be surprised. There are also prayer apps that you can use on your phone, such as PrayerMate, which is what I use. And again, also, I invite all of us, all of you, to join us on Tuesday evenings, where we have a regular prayer meeting for the church. And when we pray for one another, and we pray for other items for the nation, for the church, and for the world, Let's look more in detail at the content of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Paul does not pray anything about circumstances. Here we find a prayer with request that he believes are of utmost importance to his friends. Paul's prayer is for Christian maturity. Paul starts with, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He asked that, even as he observed their love, that their love for one another would grow more and more, driven by their love for Jesus. Then Paul prayed that, along with this love, they grow in knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge, knowing the truth of God and his will. And discernment is the ability to distinguish with moral insight, similar to the word wisdom that we use. It's important to have love that's grounded in knowledge and ability to make proper discernment. If you say you love, for example, if you say you love someone but have no knowledge of that person, what she looks like, what her likes and dislikes are, then the so called love is most likely quite shallow. I mean, what are you really loving? So Paul is telling us that our love must be based on knowledge of who God is. And this is why, earlier today, we were teaching theology lessons to the children that Brian did, so that our children would learn theology, which is a study of who God is. So if one says that he loves God, but it's not based on at all what God says he's like, then one is probably loving a made-up God of his own imagination. But at the same time, if you have a lot of knowledge of the Bible and what God's character is, but have no love for one another, then that knowledge is meaningless. So we can err in either direction. Some Christians may be criticized as having too much knowledge but not showing much love towards one another. Others may be criticized for talking about love without having much understanding of what the Bible teaches on how we are to love and how we are to live. So we need to grow both in love and in knowledge and discernment, as Paul prays. I recently heard a podcast about so-called progressive Christianity. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that term, progressive Christianity. A pastor from progressive church was commenting that he walked away from the traditional orthodox evangelical church because there was too much emphasis on knowledge of the Bible. Oops. <clears throat> so he doesn't focus on that, he says. Instead, he focused on teaching people to love one another and love the community. But let's think for a moment. That is a dangerous teaching. In fact, it's not Christianity, but a man-made religion, defining truth to be what we think fits us the best. At the end, in such case, authority is not the Bible or the God of the universe. The authority is whatever you feel like best the current culture. Hearing from some of the parents of, the, of our teenage students, such teaching is popular in our society, in our society. so our children Maybe be influenced by such teaching, just as the Philippians were under the influence of some false teachers. So as Paul urges in his prayer for us to grow in knowledge and discernment, let's be vigilant in knowing the scripture and using the scripture as the authority in evaluating whatever may be the latest new ideas so that we can test and approve based on the word of God, rather than relying on the words of charismatic human leaders, however intelligent or articulate they may be. Back to the text. Verse 10 tells us what the purposes are for such love, knowledge, and discernment. First, it is to approve what is excellent. You'll agree that in our Christian life, there are many things that we're not sure what or how to do. So by gaining knowledge of God and all discernment, we would know the best way to encourage a friend. We would know the best way to live out our Christian life at our workplaces, best way to love our spouses, best way to care for our children, best way to care for our aging parents. Some things matter more than some things just don't. So such love and knowledge and discernment would help us put our affections on things that matter the most. The second and ultimate purpose is that they may be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Goal is that they will, mature to, they will grow to have mature Christian character, pure and blameless. To be pure means to be holy inside of us, to be sincere in our motive. And to be blameless is to have a character of not offending or causing others to stumble. That is how our character affects others. In other words, pure is how we are to be inside, and blameless is how our character is shown externally in affecting others. So Paul prays that they may stand pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Not having insincere motives, not having offended others. So as we grow in our Christian life, we need to constantly examine our lives, our own thoughts. Are my thoughts and desires clean before God? Am I doing this doing this out of sincere motive, or out of desire to be noticed or praised? Will my action cause anyone to stumble? Am I doing certain things or going to a certain activity? Am I causing others to stumble? If I'm drinking too much, am I causing others to stumble? Paul says in Romans 14, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And as our love for Jesus and for each other grow more and more, and we mature in our character to be blame, to be pure and blameless, it will lead us to righteous behaviors and actions that reflect the heart of Jesus. And those actions will be the fruit of our relationship with Jesus, what comes through Jesus. The fruit does not come by us trying to achieve things, but by abiding in Jesus, by loving Jesus. You see, the love of Jesus has for us was not meant to stop with us. It's meant to flow out. It's meant to overflow to others as good news, both in our messages in our righteous actions. Then such a life characterized by the fruit of the Holy Spirit will become evident to everyone. The heart of Paul's prayer is that the Philippians will mature in their character and behavior so that they will be ready to meet Jesus. And we want this prayer to become our prayer for ourselves and for one another. So just like the Lord's Prayer, let's memorize this prayer so that we would use this prayer to pray for our children, grandchildren, parents, small group members, neighbors, coworkers, and ourselves. Paul gives us a pattern through his letter for developing a relationship in gospel-centered Christ's exalting way. The gospel shapes our mind, including what we talk about with one another. Gospel shapes our heart. That is how we love and care for one another. Then gospel shapes our will, especially how we pray for one another, as well as doing acts of righteousness. And as prayer is the most powerful thing we can do for one another, Let's think for a moment about people whom we pray for. What are in our prayers? What's the content of our prayer? Jobs, colleges, health. In fact, we prayed a lot about health during this past year. And you know, these are all very important things. And we should pray for those things. But more than that, as Paul prayed, let's pray that we will see and value what matters the most. Let's pray that we would love the gospel, that they grow to love Jesus more and more, that they grow in knowledge of Jesus so that they would discern what things are the most excellent, that they would grow to put one another's knees before their own, becoming more and more like Jesus, Jesus, pure and blameless. Let's pray that... We live as people being transformed by the gospel and be ready for the day of Christ so that God will be glorified. In fact, let me pray. Let me pray this prayer that's in Paul. Father, it is our prayer that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, your Son, to the glory and praise of God. In the name of precious Son, your precious Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.